So we are at the beginning of a sermon series, a new sermon series that we've started on the cross. And the reason why we're doing that is because the cross and the story of the cross is incredible. It's amazing. And actually, if you believe what we believe, if you believe in the God that's talked about in this book, in the Bible, then you believe in a God who is enormous you believe in a creator, you believe in the king of kings, you believe in the God, the one and only God. And so it's no wonder that we're going to take a sermon series talking about how that God made himself man and then died on a cross. It doesn't make sense, it's complicated, it's complex, it's deep. Even if you've been a Christian for a while and you think you know the ins and outs of it, actually, we could never get our heads around it. We're going to spend this whole sermon series talking about the cross, and I can tell you now, we're all going to do a bad job. And that's just Dave. (laughs) But we're not going to scratch the surface because it's so deep, it's so complex, it's so awesome. The cross is the pinnacle of history, the mystery of it. You know, my encouragement, if you have been a Christian for a while, or you've been a part of this church for a while, or whatever, or maybe even if you're brand new, my my encouragement, don't ever lose the wonder and the awe of what it meant when the Creator God gave His life for you on the cross. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for the truth of what we're going to speak about tonight. Jesus, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that anything of you would stick in people's lives and anything not of you would fall away. Speak to us tonight, God. Amen. Okay, so, for the next couple of minutes... If you don't mind, if you could turn to somebody, maybe that you don't know, so maybe that you might have to look in the row in front of you or the row behind you, you might have to move seat, whatever it takes, find somebody you didn't come with and ask them this question, what is God like? Just ask them, what is God like? And we're not looking for deep theology. I'm not looking for 10 minutes on this is what God is like. Or you don't, you don't have to go into your story, well, this is what God's like for me. Actually, the shorter, the simpler, the better. If you've got nothing to say, that's fine. But just humor me. Find somebody. Ask them, what is God like? Go. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for doing that. I'm sure you all gave concise and precise accurate definitions of what God is like in that like minute and 30 seconds I gave you. Um, tonight, that's basically what we're going to talk about. I want to propose to you that the best definition that we can get of what God is like is through the cross. That if I'm going to follow, I, I, I understand and I completely get that if I'm going to follow this awesome, massive God, that actually I, I can spend my entire life trying to work out what, it's like, what he's like. And I won't ever get to all of the deeps and the, the depths and the, and the mystery of who he is. Because he's so big, he's so amazing. He's so mysterious. But if you want the best summary, I think we find it on the cross. Let's jump into our passage. 
just to give you a bit of context as to what's going on, because I think um, sometimes it's helpful for us to wear the lenses of what's happening at the time that this stuff is written. It just helps us get into it a bit more. Um, we're going through Ephesians uh, as a student work at the moment, and it's amazing. Whoever's leading it or whatever, they're, they're just coming in, they're bringing some of the context and what's happening. So we've got the Corinthians, it's a letter, it's written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, and it's written to this, uh, this people group um, in this place called Corinth. And Corinth is like, it's like a trading hub. It's a little bit like East meets West. It's a hub for uh, different cultures, different faiths, different religions, different ethnicities, uh, different languages, and there's uh, various different gods who kind of rule the city, as it were. Corinth is a buzzing place with lots of different people, a cultural hub. And Paul is writing to this group of, of early Christians uh, who, are, who are kind of deepening their faith, learning more about Jesus, trying to figure this stuff out. But it's getting a bit clunky, and it's gone a bit wrong, actually. And they've started to listen. Where they started to listen to the teaching of Paul, they've started to listen to the teaching of these other people that have arrived on the scene. And, and actually, um, they're, they're described at these other teachers as being kind of like false prophets, they're, kind of, they're, they're telling the story, but it's distorted, it's complicated, it doesn't really, it's not making sense. It's not aligning with what Paul has been saying. So Paul's writing these letters to be like, guys, no, 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 don't forget the message I've given you. My message, it's all about Jesus and what he's done for you and what he wants to do through you. This is why I live the way I live. This is why I suffer the way I suffer. You need to listen to me. Don't forget those other guys. I need to write you this letter so that you can stay on track. You see, his hope is that in this dispute, they might find some reconciliation. And actually, interestingly, if that's some of the heart of the letter, well, that's actually the heart of what we're talking about tonight. But reconciliation on, on a much bigger scale. So the first half of our kind of passage this evening is all talking about Paul establishing himself and his ministry. This is why I'm here. This is why I do what I do. This is why you hear the things that I say. This is why I've given my life to this stuff. It's so important. You need to follow it. And the second half is Paul establishing his why. So if that's what he's doing, well, this is why. Well, I'm doing it because of what God has done for me. Because God has reconciled me to himself. And now I live it out. Now I talk about it everywhere I go because actually that's my duty as somebody who has received that truth in my life. God has mended the relationship. So now that's why I live the way I live. So why reconciliation? Why at all does a relationship need to be mended? It's because we're broken. It's because we're broken. I only know some of you here this evening, but it doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter who you were cheering for yesterday in the rugby, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, it doesn't matter your story, your background, your social class, whatever it is, your gender, your sexuality, whatever, there's one thing we all share in common. Even if you don't believe in this stuff, we share one thing in common. And that's, we're all broken. We're all broken. At our deepest, we're flawed. We're selfish. We get things wrong. We hurt other people. We hurt ourselves. We lie. We steal. We cheat. I mean, I guess I don't know you all that well to be able to say that that confidently. So I guess I can only speak for myself confidently there. But I do all of those things. That's a big chunk of my past. That's a big chunk of my today. 
In church and Christianity, we call that stuff sin. But sin is it, it, it's rebellion. Sin is when we miss the mark. It's when we deliberately decide to do other things that we know often will hurt us, that we know actually are just wrapped up in selfish ambition, that we know are outside of the good things God has for us. We call that sin. And we're all sinners. I'm not telling you that to guilt you out. I'm not telling you that to point a finger at you. Because Jesus doesn't do that, so I'm never going to do that. But it's just a fact. Like, let's get real. That, I, that, that's, that's what it's like. It says, it says in Isaiah uh, 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. I mean, when people say, you know, when you hear people say, oh, let's get vulnerable, oh, let's get, let's, I want to be vulnerable with each other. You know, because we understand that vulnerability, like, builds relationship. You're like, really good friendships are people who can be vulnerable with each other. What we really mean is we say, let me show you some of me that I'm not very proud of. We want to get vulnerable. We understand that vulnerability builds friendships because actually it's when we bear some of our weakest parts. It's when we bear the bits that we're not proud of that we can actually build a really good friendship, a really good relationship. But we've all got those parts. It can't just be me. You know, and at best, some of those sides to me I'm just embarrassed of. It's just a bit embarrassing. But at worst, I find them disgusting. And I'm ashamed of them. And they keep me up at night sometimes. We all sin. We all get it wrong. And you know, the result of that sin is it says in Romans, which is it's another book in the New Testament. It says in Romans that that stuff, that sin, actually makes us enemies of God. That stuff actually makes us an enemy of God. It says in Isaiah 59 that our iniquities separate us from him. That our sins hide his face from us. That actually when we sin and we get things wrong, it hides his face from us. Notice there that it doesn't say that our sins make him hide his face from us. That make him go, oh God, God's looking away. That's not what happens. It's actually our sin that hides his face. Do you understand the difference? It's a little bit like, I play drums, so of course we're using a drum analogy here. Although this is a cymbal, and this is a drummer. His name's Tom, he's very good. (laughs) It's a little bit like this, all right? It's a bit like I'm trying to have a friendship with Tom, and every time I try to talk to him, to connect with him, to be with him, I can't hear a thing. He can't hear me. We can't connect. That's what sin does in our relationship with God. It puts something between us that means he can't connect with us because God is so awesome and righteous that he can't be, this is in our way. You know, you want to know what God is like? This is what God is like. He sees this. (laughs) And as it says in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Thanks, Tom. You want to know what God is like? That's what he's like. That he loves you so much that that stuff that we caused 
our guilt, instead of saying, well, it's your job to clear that mess up, he said, I'll do it. He said, I'll pick it up. I'll take it away. I'll pay the cost. I'll pay the price. It says in Hebrews that Jesus made atonement for the sins of the people. Made atonement means he made amends. He came to us and said, let me deal with this stuff. I can't stand it to be in the way, despite it being me, despite it being my junk, my rubbish. I'm not talking about Adam and Eve. It's me. I sin every day. But despite you having my name all over it, he says, it's okay. Let me take it on me, because I'm desperate to be back with you. You want to know what God is like? He's a God of reconciliation. We, can't, we, we didn't reconcile ourselves to him. He reconciled us to him. He did the work. So what is God like? He's the one that wants to call us friends, not enemies. We find that in John chapter 15. But it's better than that. He doesn't just want to call us friends. He wants to call us family. Again, in Hebrews, he says he wants to call us brothers and sisters. He wants us in the fold, in the family. He wants us to be so close, like it's like we're blood-related. The word in the Greek there for reconcile is katalasso. And it means literally it's like a picture of swapping coins that are of equivalent value with one another. And the point of that picture, it's like, it's like no matter how deep the mess has gotten, no matter how yucky or rubbish it is, he's paying the price that is worth just as much. We read about in the Bible that the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death, so he brings life. Do you understand the trade-off? He's not just saying, oh, I'll make things a little bit better. He says, I'll make things so completely better it will be unrecognizable. That's what God is like. So if that's what he's like, what do we do now? How do we live? So from verse 17 it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. I mean, that's insane. That's insane. That you can count up all of the things that you've done wrong. And he's like, I'm not doing that. He's like, no, I've done, I've done the work to remove that. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've put your transgressions away. That we can say, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. So what do we do? We are to be in Christ. Old is gone, that Greek word, archaos, means everything. Everything that has been, your relationship history, the way that you used to spend your money, the way that you used to spend your time, the way that you used to think about yourself or think about other people, that stuff that you did, everything, that way that you looked at yourself and thought about yourself, everything, all of that old stuff, it's gone and in place is new, kainos, made fresh, unworn, 
unused. Brand new. That's what's happened. So be in Christ. Give him your all. Follow him. Know his love, his life, his freedom. Live in that. Don't you want to live in that? To be new, to be completely new. You know, Jesus promises to give life in all of its fullness. That doesn't mean that life will be happy and joyful forever and ever. It means in the fullness of life, ups and downs, he promises to give you life. Nothing else promises that. Don't you want that? Doesn't that sound amazing? All we have to do is be in Christ, follow him. Because he has reconciled us to himself. And he doesn't count up the sins. That word there in the Greek, counting up the sins, in its definition it means it's literal. And what that means is it's, like, it's not like the picture isn't, okay, oh, okay I'm just, I'll just stop writing them down now. Don't worry. I'll just, I won't write that sin down now. So I'll, I've just, I'll put the pen down. And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but he still saw it. He still feels it. He still, he still it's in his head. He's not writing it down, but he's in his But it's literal. What it's trying to say is he's not writing it down. He's not thinking about it. He's not dwelling on it. It is gone. It's gone. Jesus doesn't want this, this crashing symbol in between you and him. He wants friendship. No better than that. He wants family. You want to know what God is like? That's what he's like. He's desperate to know you, to be close to you. And secondly, we are now Christ's ambassadors. This is your last Greek word. Presbomen. Presbomen. It literally means, it's like a military word, it means like the emperor's mouthpiece. It means like you speak for Caesar when you're one of these dudes. What Paul's saying, it's like, now that, now, that you've, now that you're in Christ, now that you're following Christ, now that you're giving your all for him, you now get to be his mouthpiece. I don't, I don't think we've wrapped our heads around that. So he's not, he's not just reconciled us to himself. He's not just said, you're my friend. He's not just said, you're my family. He's now said, well, now you're part of my family. You're a part of this whole thing. So the way you walk and talk and live your life, you're going to walk and talk and live your life like you're one of the family now. So don't live any differently. Live as one of the family. The work that he did on the cross doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we want now. It means that we now get to be a part of his family, which changes the way we we walk, we talk, the way we live our lives forever. When When I was an intern here, I interned here for a year, and it was amazing, and part of the internship is you get to live with a family of the church, and I, for some reason, nobody wanted to adopt me. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Um, so, and, and so for the first kind of 10 days, I was placed with this family, and, and they were really generous to say, look, you can stay with us, uh, and, and, then I th- and then they'd kind of lined up another family and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but what happened was, is this family that I came into, this 10 days, it actually turned into three years, <laughs> because I came into this family, and literally from minute one, they were like, just come be a part of us. 
Come be a part of us. Come join the noise. Come join all the fun. Come join all the serious chats. Come join everything. It's like I couldn't escape it. It's like, it, it, if you're introverted, it was your nightmare. And I turned up and it was like, oh my God, I, like you never got a minute's peace. Like I, I, one, one of the children in the family, they would come into my room all the time to tell me about what they got up to during the day. And you're like, okay, brilliant. This is good. Like the first morning I woke up to go into the shower and the toilet was right next, the shower room was right next to my bedroom. Top floor, thought I had loads of privacy. Opened the door in my pants with a towel, I look up and there's a 14-year-old girl in her full school uniform going, hi, good morning, how are you? I'm Georgia. Okay. <laughs> like, you were part of the family from minute one, but that's what it was like with God. That's what God wants with us. He wants that kind of feeling that when you say yes to him and follow him, you're in. You can't escape it. You spend an afternoon with this family that I lived with, and you are in. That's it. They're going to ask about you all the time. They're going to invite you around all the time. And you know, it's the best thing. It's the best thing. But part of the thing when you join a family like that is you muck in. So they said, you know, part, part of the thing of being the family is you're going to help us around the house. You know, we're going to put you on the insurance of the car so that you can give lifts to, 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 to the kids every now and then. And, and you can help us out in the garden and, and all this kind of stuff. And actually, you're like, yeah. Because, because what I get in return is I get to be a part of the family. That's what it's like with God. He says, now you're in the family. Now you muck in. And, you know, he, he could have he, he said... Do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue traveling from place to place, talking about all the amazing things that I've... No, he said, do you know that amazing thing that I did for you? I want you to tell the world about it. I want you to tell the world about it. Because isn't it amazing? Yeah, no, you tell them. Isn't that the ultimate, isn't that the ultimate sign of humility? He said, I want my children to talk about it. Can you imagine a God that loves you so much, like a creator, awesome, massive, can't get our head around it. He loves you so much that he became so relatable to look like us. He, he loves us so much that he gave his life for us. He gave up his reputation. He gave up his power, his throne, his crown. He gave up the skin on his body as they beat him bloody. He gave up his life just because he loves you that much. And then at the end of all of that, rising from the dead, defeating death forever, after doing all of that, he then said, oh, it's for you. You go tell the world about it. Oh, you're in the family now. We'll just do this together. It's not passive. It's not like we tick a box and we're in and it's fine. It's like, come and join the party. Life in all of its fullness, even when it gets rubbish, you're in our family now. That's the best invitation I can ever hope to receive, ever. So what is God like? Well, he's the kind of God that reconciles. He's the kind of God that says, no, don't worry, I know it's your mess, but I'll come and clean it up. He's the kind of God who sets us free in life and doesn't count up. He literally doesn't count the sin. He's the kind who welcomes us into his family. And then he trusts us with his most precious message. He trusts us with the most important thing about him. He says, you have it. You have it. I'll live in you, and we'll do this together. That's the best thing I could give, ever give my life to, isn't it? Isn't that the best thing you could ever give your life to? 
Isn't that the most exciting thing you could ever do with any part of your day ever? I mean, whether you believe in this stuff or not, at least give it a go, because the promise, the stakes are really high. If it's not true, it doesn't matter, right? But if it is, it's the, literally the best thing ever. That's what it claims. Man, I'm going to give my life to that. I want to follow a God who is just like that. What is God like? Oh, man, he sounds like he's the best. So I guess my question before Libby comes up is what's it going to look like for you to say yes to that God? What's it going to look like for you today, 2019? What's it going to look like for you to really start wrapping your head around this mystery of the cross?